Welcome to the Breaking Through in Cybersecurity Marketing Podcast, where we explore the hottest topics in cyber marketing, interview experts, and help you become a better cybersecurity marketer. Welcome to another podcast episode of Breaking Through in Cybersecurity Marketing. I'm your host, Gianna Whitford, and along with me, and also acting as our special guest today, is your other host, Maria Velasquez. Hello, everyone. Welcome. All right. So we are so, well, I am so excited today because I get to do the special guest intro for Maria. So Maria is an experienced demand gen and marketing operations expert. She's worked at several cybersecurity companies, including Owl Cyber Defense, Casada, and now she's the director of demand generation at Farouk. So excited to be on the other side of the table, not hosting, but talking. So yeah. you ready, buckle up. There's probably going to be some controversial things that I will cover today, but yeah. Yeah, we can really let loose because we know each other. So everybody <laughs> get, get prepared for that. <laughs> All right. So today's topic is going to be sales alignment, which Maria, I know is like your favorite, favorite topic. Can you talk about why? I mean, I love it because I hate the fighting. So I always choose the other side. If you have the chance to be in good terms with your sales team, with your sales leader as a marketer, and especially as a marketing leader, it just makes everything else so much easier. You spend less time convincing, you spend less time selling your ideas and the new strategies that you want to implement and more time actually doing them, testing and testing together as a team, getting feedback regularly so that your marketing continues to be better and better every time you try something new. I've definitely been in a, in a spot in my life where there was not a, an alignment. And in fact, there might even be animosity between marketing and sales. And now at my company, we have amazing alignment and great relationships between marketing and sales. So I totally understand what you mean. It is even like a quality of life thing. You know, nobody wants to go into work to do a weird battle <laughs> every day and have the blame game. Yeah. And you usually see that challenge when there is this traditional old, I'm going to say legacy sales mindset that is coupled with modern marketing and marketers that are not afraid to make mistakes, that are more you know, excited about testing and, and trying out new things. And so you start to see this pushback because you know, sales team would rather be on the call, would rather be out there prospecting, would rather be at events, shaking hands and getting leads and talking to people versus spending time to actually build a brand on LinkedIn or do some social selling or even like write thought leadership as a salesperson. Those things not only benefit the company where you work as a salesperson, but they benefit you as well. You build this trust with your immediate network. Wherever you go next in terms of jobs, they'll follow you because they'll know not only they could trust you as a salesperson, but you actually know what you're talking about and you're an expert in your field. And so marketers always are trying to either find that kind of salesperson, that kind of sales team that will jump on webinars with them, that will do podcasts with them, that will post at least multiple times a week, that will even do like regular videos on LinkedIn. And to the most simplest of things, just share what you're sharing on your company page. Just share the damn thing. Just click the share button, add two words of your own, and at least you're starting a little bit of social selling. You're starting to put yourself out there and actually talk about the brand from your standpoint. 
marketing is not just marketers' jobs, right? Like marketing is the, the job of the entire company. But let's back up a second because sales marketing aligned organizations, like what does that even mean? Like people talk about sales alignment, like, oh, aligned or so aligned. Like aligned is one of those words that is like a bullshit word that we use in corporate America. But what does it mean to actually have sales and marketing alignment? Like what is the relationship like? Like what does it mean in practice? Like if you could describe a really aligned organization. Yeah, I think the most simple first step that you can do to align with sales is to align on your goals and KPIs. What happens is most of the time, sales teams are mostly, you know, concerned about opportunity creation and revenue creation, right? They have a quota. They go to sleep at night thinking about it. They wake up in the morning thinking about it, especially if it's close to end of quarter. But but on the other side, marketing can have all kinds of metrics that they are worried about or are paying close attention to, or they make part of their quarterly OKRs. But a lot of times the sales team don't really care about those. They don't care about b- website bounce rate, website conversion rate. They don't care about cost per click or uh, number of uh, leads generated at the top of the funnel. Maybe they'll care about MQLs, but if you've historically been giving them crappy MQLs, they're not going to care about those MQLs anymore. And then there's other instances where they don't even the sales team don't even understand what an MQL is. Or even if you explain it to them a few times, they'll forget about it. They'd rather just go after the leads that are coming through the demo form. Those those for them are probably the best leads that you can hand them. Anything else that comes from, I don't know, lead score or from webinars, that, that's probably going to be you know lower priority for them. So I think the first step, and to take it back, sorry, that was a long answer, is just marketing and sales just agree on one KPI, one goal, one North Star metric. Watch out, people. Buzzwords. <laughs> yeah, just agree on opportunities. So you'll forget about the entire funnel as a marketer and just focus on creating opportunity. And that makes for a much better sales alignment because you're speaking their language and they're going to trust that you know what they're looking for and you know that their biggest challenge is opportunity creation. And boom, there's first step of alignment. That's the biggest stepping stone right there. So let's dive into that a little. So, okay, so you're a marketer and you previously are looking at like MQLs, top of funnel leads, website traffic, da 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 da, all the metrics that us marketers like track on a daily basis, weekly basis, however we track. How are you going to reposition your thinking and to get to just like, and what are some steps you could do like tactically to sort of reposition what you're doing to focus more on opportunities? Uh, Yeah. And I think that's going to be also a decision that comes from top down, right? Leadership has to be aligned Mm -hmm. with the fact that marketing now is going to start looking at opportunity creation more. And I think that that's always going to be welcome because website conversion rate, MQLs, or even top of funnel leads, those are all very tactical type KPIs that are specific for the marketing team. And only the marketing team truly understands because they're in them every day. Leadership and the sales team, they care more about the bottom of the funnel and what you're bringing in in opportunities and type of opportunities, right? Ones that are, have a propensity to actually close one and then revenue, of course. And so I think one tactical thing that you can do is when you're forecasting or when you have your revenue goal for the year, right? You get that from finance, work with the sales team on that flipping the funnel kind of methodology. And I know that a lot of times, in marketing, we're debating whether the funnel is broken and whether MQLs are dead or whatever. But I still think that that is needed, at least as a basis. And then you can try other out-of-the-box marketing methodologies. But at least if you just work from a funnel with a sales and marketing team, 
then you can, you know, you can try other crazy ideas. So you start from your revenue goal. If you have historical data, you look at your conversion rates and then you figure out, okay, this is how many opportunities I need. And then you take it to the tactical side and say, well, this is how many opportunities we need to reach our revenue goal. Historically, marketing has been bringing in around 35% of those opportunities. So we're going to commit to that. And then you work your way up. So from that many opportunities that you're committing to, to help sales, we need this many MQLs and then this many leads at the top of the funnel. And I will put a disclaimer there that customer journey and buyer journey takes many forms in many different ways across many different industries and across many different personas. So you could have somebody that's never heard of you, comes to your website, thinks it's interesting and you know wants to talk to sales because they've already identified they have a problem and your solution might be the solution. But then there's other ones that are going to need time. They came to your blog, maybe need like six months of nurturing until they're ready to talk to sales. So, But at least you have that basis, that foundation of the traditional funnel, and then you stay agile from stage to stage. On the topic of historical data, which I know you have some experience with, right? Historical data and not having historical data. Okay, so you're trying to, you're flipping the funnel, right? And also, I think we should probably include some sort of resource or something in the show notes. So everybody check the show notes because we'll probably, or we will include a spreadsheet that you can work backwards off of and use as sort of like a, a template for doing this. But you're working off of, uh, you know, the revenue goal, which is X amount of opportunities, but you have no historical data to sort of map out your activities. What do you do, Maria? And by the way, this came up actually within our Cybersecurity Marketing Society Slack, where people have asked multiple times if anyone has funnel conversion data, particularly for cybersecurity. We should start aggregating that, actually, and maybe we could start sharing that with members. But the way I would do it, and, and, and first of all, a lot of the funnel and pipeline performance can be affected by brand and how strong your brand is. So we have to keep that in mind. So if you're just uh, starting up, and you're at the seed stage and you don't have a strong brand and you don't have any historical data, you just have to be of that mindset of just being patient and then also being flexible. And it's okay to start with benchmark data, with industry benchmark, wherever you can find it. Even if it's not particularly cybersecurity, you can just go to SaaS B2B and look at where everybody is. And then you can also look at the stages of some of these companies that are reporting that conversion data. And you can just maybe pick a middle point. And as long as you and your leadership is okay with that, then at least you have a starting point. And then, of course, six months or nine months after you get started and you have like a lead generation engine and you're doing things and you're bringing in leads and you're actually converting them and sales is doing demo calls, you can look at the data and then inform your conversion rate funnel from nine months ago uh, and continue to update it. Nothing is going to be perfect and you just have to be open-minded to it. As long as you have good marketing leadership that is open-minded, you have founders that believe in marketing and can give you the space and patience, you'll have that conversion data eventually. But it's, it's hard in the beginning. So let's bring this back to sales and marketing alignment. What's the conversation with sales look like then? Hey, we're going to try stuff and we don't know what's going to happen. Sales. And we know you're gunning for opportunities. Like what, what's the conversation look like? As long as you give them the mic to ask for what they want, then they feel heard. Even if some of the programs you're going to launch is not what they actually asked for, but at least if you open that forum of conversation and you say, okay, or you can even say things like, we need feedback from the field. What are you hearing on the demo calls? What are some things that we should take into consideration in our messaging? Or who are the top two or three job titles that you actually get on a roundtable at the demo? 
you know, who, who are you talking to? Is it always the CISO? Is it somebody else on his team? Who's the most outspoken? Who asks all the technical questions and all of those things? And so as long as there's this back and forth with the sales, you start to build that trust. And even if like, you know, three months from there, you propose a crazy marketing program idea, there is that trust. And they're going to be like, yeah, that's a little crazy, but I'm going to trust you. So let's go with it and see what happens. What are some other tips that you have for aligning sales and marketing? I mean, we went over uh, just keeping an open forum, aligning to a goal or a KPI, but how do you keep it going on like an ongoing basis? Do you do check-ins? Do you do like a QBR? Do you have like any sort of SLAs? Like what do you typically do? Yeah, I'll, I'll give a few examples from a few roles. We at One company, we used to do monthly sales and marketing huddles and we'll talk about like what we're planning and how we want their help and how we would want them to contribute and participate. And then we give them the mic on the other hand to give us feedback on lead quality, feedback on, uh, I don't know, programs or even feedback on trade shows that we've sent them to and that sort of thing. And on a weekly basis, I have calls with the sales leader. So it's just me and him. And we talk about the team. We talk about things that we could do better from operations all the way to strategy and everything in between. And one thing that I've implemented in multiple roles, actually, is uh, is a sales and marketing SLA or playbook, if you want to call it. And yes, it's a boring documentation. Yes, it's a lot of details, but it goes through the process from A to Z, from what marketing does to create and generate leads, what it does to nurture them, all the way to sales handoff and what we expect the sales team to do, especially on Salesforce. If you're using like a CRM like Salesforce or any other CRM, it's good to put the the blueprint of exactly what to do. This you populate this field, then you move the lead status from this to this. At least it's documented. And if anybody forgets, or if there's new team members that join, they can just be given that as part of their onboarding and just say, okay, this is the process. However, you can have all the processes documented as you want, but enforcing them is another story. And it goes back to having a good relationship with that sales leader, somebody that's going to enforce that. Okay, enforce, maybe not the right word. Encourage, get them excited to follow the process because... No, I like enforce. I, let's say enforce. Let's say, you know, rule over, like puppeteer. <laughs> That's good. I like those words. <laughs> Take that out of their commission if they don't put the, the proper lead status on sales. Yeah, negative spiffs, <laughs> all right? Every time you miss a lead status, you owe me $200. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I've, I've had that experience where, yeah, you get so excited, you put this whole entire process and document it, but nobody really cares about it. So, it, it, yeah, it, there is a lot of work to do after that, right, to keep them excited. One other fun thing that I've done in the past uh, is actually create kind of like a game where you invite the sales team to take on the marketing journey from a leads perspective. This is actually pretty cool and anybody could could steal this idea and, and actually do it. It's really cool sales and marketing alignment, like team building activity. And so essentially you, you know, you outline your process and you tell them, okay, this is what the lead journey does. This is what we do on the marketing team. We do the lead scoring. There are stages, there's subscriber leads, MQL, and then SQL. And this is what happens in each one. But then also, these are the type of content that we deliver to them to nurture them at each of these stages, right? You you don't give product-specific things at the top of the funnel. It's more best practice. And then as they move in the middle and towards the end of the funnel, they want to learn more about the product. They get battle cards. They want to they want to see you know more of what what the value proposition is of what you're offering. So then what I what I did is we I created a bunch of stickies everywhere on the wall with all kinds of engagement. So email open, email click form completion, uh, white paper download, webinar attendance, and each one has a score. 
and I and I told them, okay, from zero to twenty five, it's the lead stage, and then from twenty five to fifty is the MQL stage. And they have to pick the right kind of engagements for the stage, so they understand. Then when you get to SQL, the first team that gets to that stage is the winner. And of course, we incentivized with bottles of tequila and bottles of whiskey. And that's the best way you can get a sales team excited is uh, <laughs> some liquor. <laughs> so, so everyone, you saw everyone kind of like racing to get the right kind of engagement. And you would say, no, 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 that's a product webinar. They're not going to do that at the lead stage. They're going to do that at the MQL stage. And it was really cool to see. Yeah. And it, it brings them together. It kind of puts the sales team in the marketing shoes. And then you get to you know, create the team atmosphere together. So you know, Maria, that I ask the hard questions, right? Oh boy. What type of tequila is most likely to incentivize a sales team? <laughs> oh gosh, you're asking me because I'm actually not a tequila drinker. We like mezcal in this house. My husband and I are mezcal snobs. But oh. uh, yeah, <laughs> I think, you know, whiskey is a big one, you know, tequila. I'm not gonna drop any names unless they are open to sponsoring. And now we'd like to take a moment to thank our sponsors and producers, Hacker Valley Media. Chris Cochran and Ron Eddings run an amazing studio here, which produces not only the Breaking Through in Cybersecurity Marketing podcast, but a bunch of other shows that you're going to want to listen to as well. So all these shows plus more, and then on top of that, probably even more coming soon, are available to look at, listen to, and sponsor at HackerValley.com. Make sure you go over there and say, hey, Gianna and Maria said I should come check out your website, listen to your shows, and uh, sponsor a podcast or two. Thanks. So you hear that? Liquor manufacturers are listening to the Breaking Through and Cybersecurity Marketing Podcast. We want you to sponsor this podcast. <laughs> so you mentioned a couple of things, sales, sales leadership, sales. But what about the role of the BDR specifically? I know we've seen over the last few years, and in our group even, in society, uh, private Slack community, a lot of people looking at putting BDRs under marketing instead of under sales. Like, how do you view the BDR sales marketing alignment puzzle? Which is a super broad question, but I know you're quick to answer it. So, yeah, that's so true. And uh, apologies when I, I kept talking about relationship with the sales leaders, but I think you're right. The most important relationship with sales starts with the BDRs, and, and that is super important. Whether it sits under marketing or sales, my personal opinion is I think it should sit with sales. And the reason for that is BDRs usually are, you know, recent grads. They're new at this thing. They're new at sales. And it would benefit them personally from like a career perspective to report to an experienced salesperson that can coach them and show them the ropes versus reporting to a marketing leader who wouldn't really serve them well, other than, you know, which leads to look at and prioritize. So I, I would say it always serves better to sit on, this, on the sales team. That makes a lot of sense, because if you think about people getting into the BDR role, they are trying to become eventually an AE and then, you know, AE leader and then sales director, executive, etc. So that's a really nice BDR centric way of thinking about it, because a lot of marketers want BDRs under them because they need that visibility of like, hey, is this actually getting followed up? Hey, are these prioritized? But then if you need that visibility, it might be something wrong in your staff or in your operations or how you process things. Exactly. You can't 
or your reporting if you actually can't see that. Exactly. Exactly. You nailed it. I was just going to say, don't let sort of your limitations on the tech stack dictate your relationship with the BDRs or even like your strategy for marketing and, and marketing and sales handoff. Yeah, BDRs are super important. I think the right kind of training uh, from from the marketing team is really good in terms of, let me show you where you can find your leads in Salesforce. Let me show you what the actual lead score means, right? If you get a lead that's a, that's a 20 lead score versus a lead that's 75, let me show you the difference. Let me show you how to prioritize based on job title. Let me show you how to log your notes and your calls. Let us automate a lot of those things for you so you're not spending a lot of time in Salesforce figuring out data entry and where to put things. Uh, and instead, you're going through that lead list a lot faster and calling on them. Another way you can support the BDRs is by creating email copy for them for their sequences. And, you know, just work closely with them and maybe create two or three segments and, you know, create some email copy for them. Let them be part of the process too. Let them spice it up with a little sales tactics because uh, I, I know that marketing and sales emails are drastically different. And But together, you can create some really neat copy that'll keep people opening your emails and, and actually replying versus just hitting delete. Yeah, I think, I think this is going to depend on the size of your org too because it really depends on like what's a priority for marketing. Obviously, Getting opportunities is the priority for marketing, revenue generation. But in some instances, it's like, all right, I can't do everything for you, sales. So I'll, I'll just push back a little, right? If there's like, if you're a one person marketing team and you have 10 salespeople to support, you know, they could do the first, or 10 BDRs to support, they could do the first round of emails and then you can edit instead of writing things out for them. Absolutely. Yeah. Of course. Of course. And I, a lot of people say, oh, you know, marketing is there to service the sales. And, uh, and that's not entirely true. Sometimes it is, but it's not entirely true. We're together working towards one goal. It's not one working for the other. One thing I actually did in the past when it was just me and the sales team needed some email copies, I just look on Google and searched for sales email templates. And it, you just give them the templates as they are and they can just customize them as at least, you know, a little bit of help without doing too much. There's always like a hacky way that you can, you know, get to your goal. Hire someone on Fiverr to do it. <laughs> hire someone on Fiverr, yeah. Uh, it's like, what resources do you have? Like, how much effort are you sales assistants? How do they treat you? Are you do they treat you like a, an assistant, etc.? And that's a whole nother. That's like a therapy hour thing. So totally. We go into <laughs> that. Okay, we recently had a really good ABM mastermind in the cybersecurity marketing community. So we had actually like 40 people attend this. So it was way bigger than a typical mastermind. And we got together and we talked about our ABM strategies and what we're seeing and what we're doing. And a lot of people have come to this conclusion that ABM is sales in the end, right? ABM is convincing someone to take a meeting, convincing a specific account, strategizing and prioritizing accounts based on whether or not you think they actually need and will buy your product instead of it being a pie in the sky. We'd love to have this customer. It's with this customer actually be someone who gives us money in a given time period. Do they actually have a pain point? And then it's doing a lot of activities that get your sales team with that customer, right? Like custom events, things like making sure that the sales sales team or BDR are reaching out to all the people in the accounts, et cetera, et cetera. How do you view sales and marketing alignment when you're trying to go for this ABM approach? Yeah, I think I, I remember in, within the mastermind, you had asked the question, like, what's the first step? And I commented, first step is sales and marketing alignment. Uh, in Exactly why I bring it up. 
in my true uh, marketing ops mind fashion. Yeah, it has to be sales and marketing alignment. And by that, I mean literally getting together on a Zoom call or in a room and going through a target list and aligning on that and agreeing, okay, this is the first one that we're going to go after. And I remember somebody else mentioning during that mastermind that you should uh, start with a small segment and test that and test the waters with that and then, you know, create a bigger segment and go after that. But it's really important to just agree on what accounts we're going after. And then, of course, what is expected of the sales team within that whole entire strategy, because it isn't just sit back and wait for the leads to come to you. It's much more than that. One way I kind of started in my current role, actually in my previous role, to work towards a more targeted ABM strategy is to look at intent. We implemented a tool that was able to give us insights into who is searching for a comparable tool like us or our own tool, or actually just searching for the right kind of topics and terms that we typically listen for. And on top of that, another layer that that tool was able to let us see is people with that kind of intent around the topics that we want to listen for and have visited our website in the last 30 days. So you can get more targeted, more warm than that. And you do have the ability also to exclude existing opportunities in your CRM and existing leads in your CRM. So you know damn well those people are brand new leads that are interested in us, that know about us existing because they've been on our website and are most likely ready to talk to sales. First off, yes. Hell yes, we do curse on this podcast. Secondly, not to be like a tool geek, right? Because strategy comes first, right? Always. Strategy comes first and then you you have tools and they help implement your strategy and execute. But I love intent data so much for the exact reasons you just said. Like, oh, like this cool account is on our website and is searching for products. You could take that account. If you have partners, you could say, hey, partner that works with this company, like, hey, like, can you reach out to them? You know, start exploring that as a pain point for them. Like, hey, oh, have you heard of our our partner, you know, our company? And what intent data does, if if that account sorry, so many terms, is on your hit list, your ABM hit list, right? You can start building stuff. uh, And even if it's not, you can start building marketing stuff around that account because you have a signal that they're interested in a product like this. Exactly, exactly. And I think like when I was thinking about ABM, this made the most sense and it felt like the most natural first step because I've tried ABM where I didn't have a tool for ABM. What I did is I created a, a list And, you know, we did some retargeting. We tried to do some retargeting on LinkedIn and then we coupled it with some marketing emails and then we coupled it with some sales emails and sales sequence. And that was kind of like, quote unquote, our our bootstrap ABM strategy. It didn't result in, in much because it was completely cold, right? It was just people that we pulled out of Zoom info that fit the profile and we started just blasting them with everything. But if you do the same thing, but just add a few layers of intent and another layer of, oh, they've visited our website, you have a much better audience, much more receptive audience than just complete cold. What tool were you using? So uh, for intent, uh, Zoom Info. So Zoom Info Intent. And if you have a certain package size on Zoom Info, you have access to this thing called Websites, Web, S-I-G-H-T. And that gives you basically, you know, website traffic based on account. And sometimes it even gives you the potential people that actually were on your website within that account. It isn't 100%, but it'll tell you like, it's most likely these five people. And if they fit your job title, and if they're 
the budget holder stakeholder that you're you know that's like the golden nugget of the account or opportunity then you go for it so so just to tie this again back to sales and marketing alignment one last question i have let's start like super tactical like hey i want to set up a meeting with sales to go over leads like what do you do in those meetings in that monthly meeting that you had with sales to make sure that you're aligned like what questions did you ask what was the conversation like yeah, so every month the conversation was different because depending on what we were doing on on the marketing side and what we were handing them. So if it was a month where we went to a big event, we'll talk about feedback on the booth. We'll talk about feedback on our speaking session. We'll talk about feedback on the leads post-event. And then also we'll align on post-event strategy. Like marketing is going to send this many emails to these attendees that came to our booth. And then it's over to you, sales, to start calling and then include them in your sales sequences as well. And yeah, I think at times some of those monthly calls are just around high level process and sales and marketing alignment and communication back and forth. It's usually uh, an open forum for a feedback loop. And I think that that's the most important thing to do in a sales and marketing alignment strategy is to make sure the sales team knows that they have an ear that's going to listen to them. And, uh, and always like that open communication. In the past, I've done marketing office hours. So if you have the bandwidth to do this, you could also do, and this is actually whole company wide, is having an hour of the week where you just sit in a Zoom room and anyone who wants to join and chit chat with marketing and ask questions can join. So you sit there, you be there, people show up. Some people just show up to listen. Some people show up with questions. Some people show up to confront you about stuff. It's a good time. <laughs> and Or come with their ideas. Yeah. Um, so some a lot of people would take advantage of that when I used to do that. And so that's another potential way to even broaden ex- and expand. And we'll have to go, we'll have to do another podcast on like whole company alignment, what marketing can do to help support that. Absolutely. Um, a Slack channel for you know, uh, marketing, sales ops, marketing ops, where people just go in there, pop their questions or need help with, you know, that's another one. That's a good one too. Okay. So let's go into our quick bites, which is just one question right now. So it's quick bites. Let's do it. Uh, the desserts. All right. Maria, if you were not in marketing, what would you be doing? Oh, that's an easy one. Really? I, yeah. I actually said that in a, in a recent in- job interview. I'd have a food truck or a little restaurant. What cuisine? Um, I mean, I, I cook all kinds of cuisines. Uh, I'm Moroccan, so a lot of Mediterranean Moroccan food, Middle Eastern. I do love French food. I'm obsessed. My husband is Peruvian, so I, I started learning you know, some South American cuisine as well since we met, and it's delicious. So yeah, I, I think if I, if I were to choose like a cuisine, it might be like a fusion, maybe like a South American, North African something. <laughs> oh, that sounds so good. And for all of you podcast listeners, Maria is an amazing cook. I've been to her house. She's fed me. And <laughs> oh my God, like I would totally frequent your food truck, Maria. <laughs> like wherever it goes, I would like, I would create my own truck. This just follows your food truck around. Boom, there it is. <laughs> see, see you in, I have like a, a 10 year plan. In 10 years, it'll happen. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Awesome. Well, thank you for joining us today, Maria. This has been fun. Where can people find you? Yeah. I mean, hit me up on LinkedIn, Maria Velasquez. I'm the director of the Mangen at Fruit Security. And then if you're in a society, you already know. You're pretty available there. (laughs) 
All right. Awesome. Well, thanks again, everybody, for listening. Um, if you're not in the Cybersecurity Marketing Society, which is a private community only for cybersecurity marketers, join us at cybersecuritymarketingsociety.com. Really easy uh, URL to remember. <laughs> and we'll see you next time. Check out the show notes for the resources listed during this podcast and talk soon. Yeah. And don't forget to subscribe. See you next time. Bye. Bye.